Dear kind, loving Father, Lord, it's, it's such a privilege to be here um, in nature with all my brothers and sisters. Lord, I just pray that you touch my lips, that you just put your words in my mouth. And Father, I pray for those listening. I pray for their hearts to receive this message. Hide me behind your cross, Lord, and I give you permission to just work mightily through me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Testing. Yes. There we go. Okay. Are you all having a blessed time so far? Well, this session is called Liberated to Love. And I'm going to start with my story. So basically, um, I was in the closet for more than 30 years. And I was pretty, um, back then I was pretty afraid of myself. I was homophobic at the same time. I didn't, you know, I was going to church to a very conservative church. I didn't know how to reach out to people um, for help because, you know, I was a teenager and I, I just didn't know what to do, you know. I couldn't tell my mom. I couldn't tell anyone. I was just so afraid of myself. So a long story short, I met someone online. I dabbled into, you know, the cyber world and finally met someone. And um, one thing led to another. I began to have feelings for this person. She lived in Florida. And after a month of talking and uh, talking on the phone and chatting online and all that stuff, I decided that I, you know, I was falling in love with this person. And I drove all the way from California with my sister, with me, all the way from California to Florida to be with her. I was there for three years. We were living together. No one in San Diego, not my family, not my mom, my, uh, my dad, they didn't know. Only my sister and my brother knew. And, um, Things ended very badly between me and my partner. And I decided, and during while I was there in Florida, I felt that, and I, I thought God couldn't love me anymore. I thought he wanted to have nothing to do with me because I, I chose to live this lifestyle. I, I tried so hard to overcome it, to ignore it, to, um, you know, do whatever I thought I could do to cure myself. I even dated men and thought, this guy is really good looking. Maybe I'll turn straight, you know? But no. I went from one guy to the next, not long relationships, only to find out that I was really gay. So, I'm in Florida and thinking that God, you know, hates me and I'm doing all these things that no Christian does 
you know, parties, clubs, alcohol, drugs, trying to, to quiet this conviction in my head that what I was doing was, was, wasn't, didn't fit, didn't make sense. Because all along, you know, all along growing up, having fantasies in my head, you know, if I, if I saw a, a really attractive woman, I would place her in my head and have fantasies about her. And I would just keep rolling and rolling, like pressing the repeat button on your favorite movie. And in junior high and high school, I lived this way. I lived in, in such a fantasy world that people actually thought, Elisa, are you okay? I'd be walking down the halls, you know, just like totally zoned out. And my friends would just make fun of me and laugh at me, and I'd be laughing too. And, oh, I was just, you know, zoning out, whatever. But that was my way of escape. In the counseling world, psychology world, that is called trance addiction. We can, you can actually put your mind in a trance um, state because you're always dabbling into your brain to make yourself feel good. You're actually making yourself your own drug. And it's proven that there are chemicals that actually produce the same way if you were going to take heroin. So I was in this state. I didn't like my home life, you know, my um, family situation, all, you know, my family members had struggles too. And we had to live in our brokenness. And so, um, while I'm in Florida and, and, and God's tugging in my heart and I'm saying, no, 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 how can you love me? You know, I'm pushing him away. You don't love me. Look what I'm doing. But God kept on. And I felt him. And to make a long story short, when things went badly, I was struggling financially. My mom would call me and say, Lisa, how's it going there? And I would ask my mom, can you just stand a little bit? I'm just struggling, you know, to pay my bills just a little bit. She goes, yeah, okay, but are you going to church? I'm like, uh, I didn't go last Sabbath, but I started to work on Sabbath. And I try to change the subject, you know. Oh, you know, um, how are you guys doing? How's, how's my dog? And, and how's, you know, Pa and, my, you know, my brother? And my mom, you know, she just went along with, with the conversation. So anyway, um, I decided while I was in Florida, this is not working out. I'm going back to live with my parents. I was a massage therapist. I had a plan. I was going to go to Las Vegas and work at a hotel and massage people and pay off all my bills. That I used up all these credit cards to survive, which shows like heavy debt. But when I arrived in Las Vegas, things started to happen to me physically. My ankle started to swell up, um, then my legs. And I'm sitting there on the plane and I'm just thinking, what's 
going on? It stopped me from crying because I, I started crying from the, from the time I left Florida and just thinking, well, this was just, just blew up in my face and I, you know, I, I'm going to lose all my friends, I'm going to miss them and I'm just crying and I just feel my, my pants is getting really tight. I arrive at the airport in Las Vegas. My mom, my mom, my brother are there. They're so happy, you know. And my mom is like, oh, Anak, my child in Tagalog. It's so good to see you. And my brother's like, what's with the face? What's wrong with you? Because <laughs> I looked really worried. I'm just like, well, my legs are kind of swollen. Maybe I'm just tired. And my mom was like, well, let me see. And I raised up my pants, and my legs were just, my ankles were this thick. I couldn't hardly walk. And my mom's like, oh, you know what? You're just tired. So we get home. My mom just, you know, helps me in bed. She kind of peels off my pants. And she's trying not to react, my poor mom. But she's like, it's okay. You just need rest. <laughs> I, I know you've been through a lot, enough. Yeah, I just, I'm really tired. The next morning I wake up, I have a fever. The swelling went away, but suddenly there's a fever. And my mom's like, well, you have a fever. You just got here. What is going on? I said, I don't know. Come on, let's go we'll take you to the clinic. So we go to the clinic, and they find um, water in, in between my chest and, and my lungs or whatever, chest wall. And they said, we don't have the equipment for, for this. We don't know what's going on, really. And I was just like, can't you just give me an aspirin? And I'll be OK. <laughs> Isn't this just the, you know, I have the flu? He goes, no, this is not the flu. And my mom just looked at me, she's like, I'm not. What's going on with you? What did you eat? <laughs> what were you eating in Florida? First thing I, I thought of was, well, I had crab and I had some beer. <laughs> but I didn't tell her that. I go, well, I wasn't eating right. <laughs> and she just looked at me and I looked at her and there was tears in my eyes. Because I can, I was going back in my mind thinking, I had symptoms, but I didn't even know. I was losing my appetite. I was losing weight. I was having joint pains on my on my wrist and on my ankles. I was wearing I couldn't wear heels anymore to work. I had to wear like sandals like these. And I was like, I don't know, but everything was was coming together in my mind. Something's going on with me. And so long story short, they sent me back home thinking I only had a hyperthyroid. Something in my body was making my thyroid react. So they send me home to give me medication, only to find out that medication just sends me right back. And I had a bad reaction. So there, I was there for two weeks. I had rashes. I had a sore in my mouth that was like this big. And my, my hands started to get really stiff. My mom was just like, I don't know. You come back from Florida, and you're falling apart. And I'm just thinking, I know, it's so weird. But all I could think of, you know, laying there, was thinking, was this because of Florida, you know? 
is this because I chose to live this lifestyle finally, and then I get sick? It wasn't a prayer, but it might as well have been. You know, I was wondering what God was doing. You know, why are you doing this to me? And my brother comes in, and he knows about me. My mom and dad still don't know, but my brother does. And he, he barges in, and he says, you know why this is happening to you, right? I'm like, tell me. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I'm going to die tomorrow. It's because you haven't told. Told what? You know about you being gay. You haven't told mom and pa. And I just looked at him and made me angry. I said, you're gonna come in here. I'm like a vegetable on the, on the bed, you know? I'm white as paper because whatever is happening affected my blood. My white blood cells was like 1.1. My blood platelets were 17,000 and decreasing. And so my brother says this. And I'm like, you know what? I just looked at him. I didn't know what to say. That's all I said. That's all I could say. But you know, he had some truth. Even though my brother said what he said, it hit me. And my mind started just rolling. So after that, after two weeks, finally these two these actually a team of doctors around me took every single test, going through the, those machines, scanning my whole body, and they finally say, you have systemic lupus with rheumatoid, with a rheumatoid factor. My mom looked at me. My sister was there. I don't think you were there, but you were there before. She would lay in bed with me, give me showers. And when I learned this truth, I was devastated. I was just mortified. How in the world am I supposed to live? So, after maybe about six months, um, I started to get really depressed. I started to feel sorry for myself. I started to uh, just be bitter, you know. Um, I couldn't go outside because, you know, with lupus, there's sun rays, ultraviolet rays, it affects you. I still go outside. I'm like, by God's grace, right? Um, and I couldn't do the normal things that I did. And it really made me miserable until my sister, around this time, she was taking Bible studies, or not taking Bible studies, she was remembering Bible studies that we took as a family in 1985 at our Chula Vista Seventh-day Adventist Church. And she would call us and talk about, um, 
you know, do you remember the sanctuary message that Vera gave us? I'm like, kind of. And she got my, my mind rolling, and she got my mom's mind rolling, too. And I'm like, why are you asking? This is so random. You're, you're in San Francisco. You're gay. What, what? You know, my sister was out and proud in San Francisco. And I was the one who always looked to her thinking, yeah, I want to be like that, but not really. I didn't want to be out there, out there, you know? But I kind of idolized her life because no matter what, she lived it, you know? But me, I was like in the closet. I was so afraid to come out, okay? So she was coming back to God, and I was visiting her off and on. My doctor was in San Francisco, and she says to me, hey, I'm going to uh, get rebaptized. I was like, wow, you're going to blow Ma's head off. And she goes, why don't you get rebaptized too? And around this time, it's kind of funny because we were falling in love with Jesus again, slowly. And, and we were just, just amazed how, how we were just becoming closer because of Jesus. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think about it. So anyway, long story short, my mom comes. It's a whole, it's a whole event. She knows Verna's going to get rebaptized. She doesn't know about me. She doesn't know about me coming back to the Lord. She doesn't know about me being gay in Florida. She doesn't know nothing. My dad doesn't know either. And my mom is sitting up front, and Verna is already up front. And the pastor goes, will the other, other candidate for baptism please stand? And I stand up, and my mom's just like, You too? I'm like, yes. I'm already crying. Someone is done singing, You Lift Me Up by Josh Groban. How can you not cry? And my mom's like, oh. She hugs me so tight, and she starts to cry. And she's just wondering, how did this all transpire? How did this happen? We're there in the baptistry, you know, and... Um, Still to this day, we still think, you know, we were wearing white robes, but people will always correct us. No, we were there. You were wearing black robes. No, I remember I was wearing white. No. But yeah, being in that baptistry, I wanted to repent of everything. Oh, God, wait, I have this sin. But wait, you can't do it yet. I, I have this sin. He's like, shh. You're mine. You've always been mine. And I just started to cry. They're playing you. I surrender all, you know. A week after that, I had a devotion with, with the Lord. I wanted to ask him because, you know, Satan always attacks us with doubts. He always attacks us by tricking us if this is real, if this experience with Jesus is real. And I, I had that doubt. So I, I opened up the word in John 21, you know, where Jesus is walking along the, the shore, 
with Peter. And Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter. Instead of Peter, it was like God was saying, Lisa, do you love me? I, I had my Bible, I knelt in front of the bed, and I was sobbing. I said, yes, Lord. He said, go. And I'm like, go where? Go tell your mom. Go tell your mom who you were living with. And I'm like, you know, I vowed to never tell my mom because of all the things that she was going through. My dad had a stroke, my sister came out, she had to deal with my sister being uh, a lesbian for 20 years, and then here, here I go telling my mom, I'm gonna kill her, right? But God reassured me, go, I'm gonna be with you. So I'm at the table with my mom. We just get done eating breakfast, and I take her hand. I'm already crying. And I look in her eyes, and I said, Mom, do you know who I was living with in Florida? And she looked at me, and she's like, was it with a man? I just wanted to say, yes, it was with men. <laughs> no. I said it was with a woman. And I looked at her, and she got it. And all she could do was bow her head and say, what did I do? I squeezed her hand even more. I said, Ma, you didn't do anything. I took her to my room, and she was crying, and I held her close to my chest. And I was, and she said something to me I will never forget. She goes, you know what, Anak? I said, what? If you had told me this a few years ago, I think I would have given up on God. I think I would have thrown in the towel. I looked in her eyes and began to cry and say, I'm not that person by God's grace. I'm not that person anymore. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I'm not that person anymore. And we just hug each other. And I'm going to fast forward here because one of the things that I have grappled with and have, I have struggled with before coming out, even after coming out, all through my life, is self-hatred. And my misconception of who, of who God is, who he really is. Because I wouldn't have thought that Jesus had left me in Florida. I felt him there, tugging at my heartstrings. 
let me tell you, someone who struggles with homosexuality deals with some form of self-hatred. Think about it. You're the only straight person in a gay world. How would you feel? Why am, I, why am I not gay? How come I have feelings towards the same sex and not the opposite sex? These are questions that ran in our minds, me and my sister's minds, ever since we were little. Ever since I was five years old. And you may think, well, that's not normal. No, it's not. But sin is not normal, is it? We don't understand it. So people who struggle with homosexuality have a level of self-hatred. And so what is the answer? Do you all have your Bibles with you? Turn with me to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verses 37 and 34. They're all there. Can someone stand up and read it for me? Verse 37 through 40. Sometimes we stop at, you shall love your neighbor, and when we kind of, as a result, we kind of hide that, or we don't like to say that. Love your neighbor, as a result. What was that? Love your neighbor, as a result. Love your neighbor as yourself. I have a question for you all. Do you like yourself? Do you love yourself? Now this is scary because people might think, I don't know about this, this loving myself thing. Me neither. And all my life I was scared of loving myself. You know, Satan has a counterfeit for the biblical concept of self-love. What is it? Self-esteem. What's that? Self-esteem. Okay, what else? What? Yes, pride. What else? What's that? Selfishness. Yes. How about vanity? How did how did Lucifer feel up, up in heaven? I can be better, right? Jesus knew that we would we would struggle with insecurity and self-hatred. That's why he said, love your neighbor as yourself. How do we love ourselves is how we're going to love our neighbor. What experience have you gone through with the Lord 
that has really brought you to a level of really realizing, yeah, I think I am worth something to God. And yeah, I think I am a daughter of Christ. I am a daughter of the Most High King. And maybe you won't raise your hand, but maybe you guys are all together, not broken. You don't deal with insecurity or self-hatred. But Jesus knew that we would deal with it. Jesus knew that those who are insecure do not possess the additional force of will or the emotional strength needed to love others well. Insecurity and approval addiction was my struggle. I always had to get my father's approval because I always thought that he wanted another boy. That was just my perception. Kids have magical thinking this way. If mom and dad are fighting, then they blame the, we blame ourselves. You know, the kids blame themselves. That's just how it works. And so I, I, be, I was a tomboy. I, you know, I dressed up in my brother's outfits and, and um, you know, played with cars instead of dolls. And I didn't like dresses. They were itchy and drafty. And I just didn't like them. I didn't like dresses. But this approval addiction, wanting my dad's approval, followed me as I was getting older, as I was growing up. And it was not only my father that I needed approval from. It was from anyone. Does, did, does anyone ever get the phrase, told them that they are too nice? Well, you're just too nice. You get that? You're, you're just too nice. And you can't say no. You can't say no because later on you're going to feel guilty. It's hard to say no, right? But then when we don't say no, when we really truly want, you know, we want to say no, but we, we are saying yes. What is that? Are you being truthful? No. No. This was my problem. And today they call it the, the disease to please. Because basically, are we pleasing God? We want people's approval because we want to be just as good. We want to be, you know, we want to be accepted. So this brokenness of not being accepted from my father, not being approved by my father, it stuck with me. And these are the layers that God is healing in me. He took away homosexuality. You would think that would be the hardest sin. But he wanted to get deeper into my heart, into the self-hatred, and into my insecurities and my fear. So he told me to go to Weimar. He told me to go to Weimar to take care of my health. 
and I'm like, okay, you know. And there they had treatments of fever baths. Does anyone know what a fever bath is? Fever bath? Oh, wow. This is hydrotherapy, and you get into really hot water, 110 degrees, and it, it creates a artificial fever. And it's supposed to be good for your immune system. It's supposed to open the blood vessels and make toxins go. I did this fever bath for three weeks. It took time to get a fever up. I couldn't get my arms out of the tub. The therapist would say, Lisa, I'm sorry, but you can't take your, your, your hands out of the tub. And you can't hang your leg out of the tub either. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. And sometimes I'm crying because I can't take it anymore. Just get me out of here. I'm sorry, Lisa. You have to reach. You're almost there. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. She goes, yes, you can. And she's singing to me. Jesus loves me, this I know. I'm just like, I don't want to hear that. I just want to get out of this, this tub. And she goes, you know what? And I'm just looking at her, miserable. Tears is a language that God understands. And I was like, well, if he understands this, he could just take me out of this. And then I thought about John, how he died. Boiling oil, right? And I was just like, oh my. <laughs> but, <laughs> but those were three intense weeks of fever baths. And during a fever bath, you go delirious. You go delirious, you start talking about stuff that you wouldn't normally tell a stranger. So my therapist knows a lot about me. <laughs> and she still just looks at me. Tears is a language that God understands. And I'm like, I never forget that. Whenever I see her in these conferences or something, I'm like, hi. She's like, hi. How are you? You know, I will never forget that. She ministered to my heart. But more than, than that, Jesus ministered to me while I was in the tub. And I was crying, and it felt like a release. All those years of keeping stuff in, of the truth of who I was, who I thought I was, Jesus was healing that. Because scientifically, if we hold in emotions, if we hold in tears, they actually build toxins. So in the fever bath was God's med method to get it out. If I wasn't going to cry, this will. <laughs> the fever bath will. And God was teaching me how to love myself and to love myself well. He taught me how to eat good food. He taught me to go to bed at a certain time. 
and I would walk for miles and miles around the lodge. How many has been? How many been here? Been to Weimar? Yes, you know, around the flagpole, round and around and around. He taught me how to love myself by caring for his temple. For one, I'm his temple. And it's so funny because as I was walking with some of my friends, and I had the best support of friends there at Weimar, they're just like, come on, Lisa, you can do it. I'm just like, you can do it, you can do it. No, I can't, I can't do it, oh, I can't. And that was the first week. The third week, I'm just like, come on, guys, let's go. And I told my friend, I kind of like myself. And she goes, what? I, I kind of like myself, and I think my body is liking me too. God ministered to me, and he says, Lisa, I came here for healing, but I didn't put this on you. I didn't make you sick. All your life, you didn't love yourself. You didn't like yourself. And it was at Weimar that I actually felt, wow, it was mind blown. You mean, God, that you were with me in Florida all along? Oh, Lisa, I was with you when you were five years old and you liked girls and you thought you were strange. And when you were looking at your teachers and you thought they were attractive to you, I loved you then. And I still love you now. That was it. That was the thing that took me over the top to gain full victory over homosexuality. I will look at my sister in Christ and say, she doesn't go in my head. And those movies don't play. God, did you take that away? Because I was so busy falling in love with him. It was like he was taking things from me that I knew I had trouble with, I knew I had problems with, he was just flaying it off. I'm just like, oh, I'm not attracted to them anymore. And men were turning my heads. Me and my sister were sitting in a truck, and we're at a stoplight, and she's, she's, um, she's driving. And we see this man on the corner. And he's walking across the street, and he's wearing a uniform. And he's tall. And he's nicely built. And I, my eyes were moving, but my head was staying still. I was like. And then as I moved my head, she was, my sister was looking too. She's like. <laughs> and we both looked at each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Praise God. God is good. <laughs> 
I, I want to read something from um, Douglas Cooper. It's, how many know about this book? It's published in, in the 70s. Probably not. They sell at the ABC store for 12 bucks. It's a different cover. But this book, I don't know why it's not being circulated again. Living God's Love, the science, the breakdown, the practicality of how to love others who are different, how to love others who are difficult, how to love the unlovely, right here. It's kind of tore up. If you want to come look, just be very careful. I'm going to get the Kindle edition. <laughs> But this is what he says. Love for others, the supernatural love that God puts in us, is structured so that it can be launched only from the pad of a deep love for one's own self. That's powerful. In Matthew Henry commentary, he comments on Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, which my brother had read. It says here, there is a self-love which is corrupt and the root of the greatest sins, which is the root of the greatest sins, and it must be put off and mortified. But there is a self-love which is the rule of the greatest duty. We must have a due concern for the welfare of our own souls and bodies, and we must love our neighbor as truly and sincerely as we love ourselves. Is that hard to understand? Sometimes we think, sometimes how we treat others is the way, is how God treats us. How we think God treats us, that's how we treat others, right? But across the board, Jesus loved regardless. Did you guys ever heard of, did, did we ever tell you about the cat? The cat? My sister is going to come and, and tell you about this story. It happened in, in, in Australia. <laughs> no, but this. <laughs> oh. Right. So the story of the cat. We were um, in Australia, and we were just hanging out with my best friend, who's um, a count. Uh, she's Seventh Day Adventist, and she's a counselor and also an author. And um, we just got done having dinner, and, and we had a rental car, and we were driving her home. And uh, the streets were dark. There weren't no any. There weren't street lights much. Yeah. No. A so it was a country road, and um, I break, and all of us are peering through the windshield, and we see this white fluffy thing in the middle of the street, and. We take a closer look through the windshield, 
and we're leaning more forward, and it's a cat. And apparently, it had just been ran over. So it was sitting there, and it picked up its head, and it started, it was, the mouth was open, and we could see just blood squirting out. We all ran out of the car, and we're, all three of us are standing there, we're like, what do we do? And this poor thing, and I was kind of scared to, 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 to touch it or carry it or whatever, and my best friend goes back to the car, I'm like, Danny, get a plastic bag. She comes back with her coat. And when she heard that I asked for a plastic bag, maybe we should put it in the plastic bag. Do you have a plastic bag? She goes, plastic bag? And I felt so rebuked. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> um, in my mind, this thing looked like it was about to croak, you know? And, and she gets her fur coat that was given to her by a friend. She gets her fur coat and scoops up this cat and gives it to my sister. And here's Lisa, she's holding this cat just it's screaming and, it, and it's bleeding and and my sister's going okay what do I do and we and my friend Danny goes Let's get back in the car so we all get back in the car Lisa's in the back seat with this cat and we get to my friend's house and she goes inside the house Lisa's with the cat my friend is trying to figure out where's the nearest emergency pet hospital and we're in Australia, we're like, they do things so differently over there. They're down under. So anyway, so we get, we get back in the car and the nearest pet, emergency pet hospital is like an hour and a half away. And we're like, oh man, in my head I'm thinking, this cat is not going to live this long. We're gonna end up with a dead cat in this car. Meanwhile, my sister's in the back seat. My sister's so gentle. She is. So I'm, I'm sitting in the front seat. And, and no, I was driving. It's backwards, see I was on the right side. So I was driving and my friend's sitting there. And I'm, I keep looking back at Lisa and I'm like, don't get the blood all over you. What are you doing? And I was worried about the blood getting all over her and with her condition, you know, she's being at risk here. And, <laughs> and that's what I was worried about. And we all just start singing to the cat. Jesus loves me this time. That song is so powerful. Seriously. When I find myself struggling with something and just hearing that song just makes me feel so much better. So we start singing that song. Lisa's petting this cat. And Lisa all of a sudden goes, it's purring. Oh, it's going to make it. All of a sudden, I'm driving faster and faster. It's going to make it. It's going to make it. And Danny goes, keep going, keep going. It's going to make it. It's going to make it. We were happy, and it was purring, and it fell asleep. And, and Lisa, we continued to sing. We get to the emergency pet hospital. We all run out of the car. It was so dramatic. And then we go, we go, we go inside the emergency clinic and here's Lisa carrying this cat that had just fallen asleep and she gives it to the lady and we're standing there and we're, we're smiling. We're like, we did it, we did it, it's gonna make it. And then we were like, can we say goodbye to it? Oh, I'm sorry, it's already dead. 
And I was like, we sang to it. We comforted it. We, we, it was in a fur coat, for God's sakes. What? Why? And we wondered. And we went back to the car and we sat there in silence among the three of us. An hour and a half back to my friend's house. And we were just bewildered. We were just, why? Why did that happen? Why, why, did, why couldn't that cat live? It was such a pretty cat. The poor thing. And we were thinking, what does this mean, Lord? And my friend Danny's like, this has got to mean something. And I'm like, you think? And not until we got to the States did we realize what it meant. Me and my friend were... My best friend and I were Skyping, and we were talking about this incident. You know, this cat, it was pretty, it was in a hopeless state, it was. But there were signs of hope, you know. It was purring, it fallen asleep, it was, we were comforting it, we were singing to it. We, we did all we could, but it still died. And it hit me and my friend while we were Skyping one night. Would we still have done that if we knew it was going to die? Would we still go out of our way to sing to someone, to wrap them with our fur coat, touch them, cuddle them, comfort them? The last very few minutes of that cat's life, it was loved. And that's all that mattered. How willing are we? How willing are we? How far are we willing to go to touch someone, to comfort them in their last minute of need and not have expectations of what the outcome would be? Thank you, sis. That story, um, every time, I could just remember the smell of it, you know, and it was bleeding on my pants, and wasn't that Sheree Peters' coat? <laughs> Sheree Peters gave it to Danny as a gift, but probably not anymore. That cat, we, we had an attachment to it for like an hour and a half, singing to it, feeling its, I could hear its purr. I could feel the heartbeat very faint on my, on my thigh. It's really sad. But why did we tell that story? That's how God loves us. That's how God loves us. When I got rebaptized, I struggled still. I thought I had to be perfect. I had to have it all together. I had to have all my issues healed, only to discover as I was going along with this ministry, there was stuff in my life that God still wanted to pluck out. But he still loved me.
real quick. We've been teaching at evangelism schools for the past seven years. Um, we've taught at Arise in Oregon, Arise Australia, AFCO, and Souls West. Every single time, every single year, we have many young people come to us and say, I have to be healed before I can help someone. And that is a fallacy of the enemy. Our process of healing, brothers and sisters, when we realize how God loves us and that he liberates us to love others, just as ourself, it's an amazing experience because that, that is what helps your journey. Loving others as God loves you makes your journey of healing so much more victorious. Thank you, sister. Thank you for that. Do you think the disciples had issues? Yes. Even up to the cross. Can you imagine the disciples thinking that Jesus is on the cross? Oh, man, I didn't do anything. All I did was run because I was thinking about myself. The disciples started ministry with Jesus, but... They weren't perfect. They struggled with pride and insecurity, self-exaltation. Who was going to be the greatest in heaven? Jealousy? Right? I had to grapple with the idea that Jesus accepts me now, right now, right here, the way I am. And as much as I'm walking with him, he takes me on paths and journeys of healing as much as I can take. And I remember in Tennessee, we gave our testimony to um, Harbert Hills Academy. And I had just got done telling my testimony. It was like straight two hours, detailed and all. And the lady, this lady came up to me and she just said to me, there's going to be more. And I just looked at her, what? This is all I can take. <laughs> but you know what? God keeps bringing stuff back up again. And I'm like, I didn't know that. But he always gives the grace. He always gives the grace. And it's just for the purpose of sharing with others what Jesus has done for us. What has Jesus done for you? When was the last time you felt Jesus loved me so much you were willing to give up everything? That you, you say, I love Jesus more than that. When? We don't need to uh, grapple with how much love God gives us because you know what? It's an abundance. 
Jesus wants to see that we have value and importance to him. I would like to say that God needs us. That might sound weird, but Sister Wright does say that he needs us to be loved with skin on it. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm going to wrap it up, maybe kind of early. But um, just think of that verse. Love your neighbor as thyself. Are we abiding in Christ every morning? Are we facing the cross every morning? And hearing Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. bow our heads for a word of prayer. Your kind, loving Father, we just want to thank you so much for ministering um, to our hearts today, this afternoon. I continue, Lord, to pray for um, each and every one of, of these precious children of yours, Lord, that your spirit will go with them and that they will be revived and realize just how precious they are they have all this love from you to share. Thank you so much for your everlasting love, for your uh, loving kindness, and your mercy towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.